You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. Our guest today is a glaucoma patient who has been treating her condition with cannabis for over 20 years. She was an edibles baker for a dispensary in Seattle, Washington, and has started her own company to teach patients to make their own medicine. And joining us from Longview, Washington, is Sage Emdahl. Sage, thanks very much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. When did you first notice that you were having vision problems? When I was born, because I was born completely blind in both eyes. So you're blind in both eyes. What was the issue? I had cataracts in both eyes um, that fully covered my lenses. And you couldn't see at all. Can you see today? Yes, I had a lensectomy done in both eyes when I was just a few months old, which gave me back a lot of my sight, although... Um, I needed to wear corrective lenses, um, so as an infant, I actually had these really big Coke bottle bottom glasses taped to the bridge of my nose, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, which allowed me to see. Yeah. <laughs> so you were one of those kids that have pop bottle glasses. Yes, <laughs> until I was old enough to wear contacts. Oh, I see. So after the, when you were old enough to wear contacts, uh, they didn't bother your eyes. Yes. Um, you know, the contacts uh, really changed things, you know, for me. Although I still had to wear bifocals for uh, reading and, and distance on top of my contacts, but the glasses weren't nearly as thick. Yeah, it must be tough on a little kid to have uh, to have to wear glasses that thick. Were you teased a lot? Yes, unfortunately, I had a very tough childhood. I was ridiculed quite often for wearing glasses, especially being bifocals. So, uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. No, oh, absolutely. Now, as the years progressed, when did you notice that your vision was starting to deteriorate? Well, I noticed when I was like about 10 or 11 that I started having really bad headaches and um, I started having halos in my vision. And so my parents took me to an ophthalmologist and they tested my interocular eye pressure and realized that it was elevated and they diagnosed me with glaucoma. So since I was about 12 years old, I've been you know, on pharmaceutical eye drops to control the glaucoma. Unfortunately, though, they haven't really been that effective for my treatment. So what have you done in the interim if the eye drops aren't working for you? You talked about uh, using cannabis. When did you start that? So I started when I was 18. That's kind of the first experience I had with it, which was a social experience. Um, and I noticed from that first time when I had smoked that my vision became clearer, 
um, the fog was lifted from my my vision, and I uh, didn't feel this pressure like I had been before. Um, but I didn't quite really make a connection with it, how effective it was, and still until I started eating edibles, and that was when I was about twenty. What was it like the very first time you ate an edible? Well. It was a little bit too much. <laughs> I had made <laughs> I had made brownies and I had done it the classic way everybody, you know, back then did, which was basically, you know, grind up your cannabis, throw it in your brownie mix and stick it in the oven. I didn't really account for how much cannabis I threw in those brownies. Um and I ended up having vertigo for a day or two afterwards. <laughs> so Yeah, over the years so my vision was perfect. Your vision was perfect. Wow. <laughs> that must have been a bit of a shock for you. Yeah, actually, um, it was it was really surprising to me because even though I didn't feel physically well, had the feelings of vertigo, uh, I didn't have any halos in, the, in my vision. I didn't have any of that, that head pressure. Um, and so I knew it was just more about calibration and getting the right dose. So the intraocular pressure just kind of decreased as a result of using cannabis. You felt normal. Your eyesight was, well, you didn't feel normal, but your eyesight was normal. And uh, that, I guess, put you on the road to cannabis use for since then. Yes, absolutely. Um, Pretty much I combined my love of cooking with cannabis and making edibles to treat my condition. And... I really liked how versatile it was, how I could pretty much infuse cannabis into anything to create, you know, my regular daily meals because I don't like to eat, you know, brownies and cookies all the time. And I like to infuse things into savory foods as well and just like have it with my regular meal rather than, uh, you know, putting those extra carbs and sugars in me and plus you know, those aren't really good for you anyways. So, <laughs> Sage, how is your eyesight today compared to when you first started taking cannabis? Well, my vision has still decreased over time, unfortunately. Um, when I was a school teacher, I couldn't really use cannabis when I was in the field. Um, and I could only maybe use it in the evenings when I got home off work because I worked with infants and preschool age students and so over that period because I couldn't really maintain it the way I wanted to because it was a conflict with my career um, I did have some suffering from that and unfortunately about three years ago my vision became limited to the point where I felt I wasn't very comfortable with watching small children anymore that I was more of a liability to them Um, so I've been disabled since because I can't just go out and get a different kind of job when I when you can't see well enough to read things like cash registers and, and other media that you would require, uh, be required to, um, I kind of had to take a time out. And right now I'm trying to reinvent myself with, you know, using my passion for how I've been able to help myself to help others. Sage, do you ever try concentrates at all, or you stick solely to uh, the edibles? Well, actually, my concentrates are made with 
I mean, my edibles are made with concentrates, excuse me. Um, I actually find that um, I've really been enjoying making what people call feco, which is fully extracted cannabis, cannabis oil. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes, and I, and I really like this method in a lot of my edibles, like candies and certain things like that, where you really don't want to add that much oil, especially when you're making lollipops, um, because they don't set very nicely. So cannabis concentrates work more effectively for certain kind of edible infusions. However, I um, I still do make um, like infused butter and olive oils and things like that for certain items. Like if I make a brownie, I like actually the cannabis oil because I like the taste of the cannabis with chocolate. I think it's delicious together. Cannabis and chocolate. T- tell us how you would yes. tell us how you would make uh, say. Um, a, a chocolate cookie with with cannabis in it. I'm not so a, I'm not a cook, first, so I'm I'm uh, right. <laughs> you can probably tell it's that. Very, it's very simple, uh, but it, the way I make it, it takes a little bit more patience than the uh, typical variety because a lot of people like to do what's called oven decarboxylation. They put their cannabis in a dish and they stick it in the oven for about 45 minutes and let the heat from the oven decarb it before they infuse it into their oil. That way their oil infusion time only takes maybe two to four hours. However, when you do it that way, you don't really get the turpin value from the cannabis. The high heat from the decarboxylation destroys those turpins. So I've been doing it this way for a very long time, and it's very simple, I mean, very similar to um, how herbalists basically make their infusions, which is I do it in my crock pot in a double boiler fashion with my cannabis and oil in a jar inside the crock pot, and the crock pot is filled with water to the level of the oil in the jar. And I set it on warm for three days, and... Over that time, it slowly decarboxylates under low heat, about 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And then I strain it, and I would take that butter, and I would add it to my regular cookie recipe. I would use about a fourth cup of oil if I was making a batch with about one ounce of cannabis to two cups of butter. That doesn't sound that difficult, does it? Just It's a lengthy process, but not that hard. Right. Yes. It, 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 uh, it's very simple. It's like the set it and forget it kind of mentality. Um, it's just the patience part. A lot of people want it right then and now. They like the instant gratification. Um, but I always say that if you're willing to be patient, you're going to get a more medicinal product. Interesting. Okay. And, yeah. How often do you uh, consume edibles? Every single day, about two to three times per day, because edibles last for about six to eight hours. So I try and maintain that level throughout the full 24 hours. Now, over the years, you say your eyesight has deteriorated uh, somewhat, particularly the time when you were teaching youngsters and you weren't consuming cannabis the way you do today. Once you stopped teaching and started consuming cannabis on a regular basis, was there a plateau in the deterioration of your vision? Yes. Um, actually, I went to an ophthalmologist in Gallup, Washington, and I actually wanted to know, you know, how successful this was from a scientific point by having them test my eye pressure. So the first time I went and saw the doctor, I didn't take any edibles. 
I just went with the medication I had always been currently taking. And, of course, my pressure was really high. It was like in the the low 30s, which is really not good. You want yours to be in the low teens. So um, the next appointment, I had consumed an edible about two to three hours before my appointment. And when they did my reading, I was 18 in the left eye and 25 in the right eye. So there was a drastic decrease in the elevation. And the ophthalmologist pretty much asked me, what are you doing? Because the medication that I've been prescribing you would not have had this effect. And so he was really excited when I had told him about cannabis. He had a lot of questions about how I was taking it and how I was using it. Um, because most ophthalmologists that I've talked to in the past, they say, oh, cannabis is ineffective. You smoke it, it only lasts two hours. But they never bring up the discussion of edibles. So this was something new for them. Yeah, that's very interesting. So he's quite supportive of your cannabis use then. Yeah, I, I unfortunately can't, you know, go visit him anymore. I don't live in Pialp anymore. But yes, during that time, he was very supportive of it. Um, he was pretty much the only ophthalmologist that I've met that has actually been as supportive. Um, most have actually been quite dismissive. So, you know, disregarding actually what's mm-hmm. in front of them. Yeah, I think that's fairly common, unfortunately. I think you're probably aware. Yeah. You're probably aware, Sage, of the Robert Randall story in the U.S. He was the first glaucoma patient. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he gets. Uh, he got 300 joints a month from the U.S. government for his glaucoma, and other patients have taken advantage of this program as well. Did you ever think of doing that? Well, as far as I know, the cannabis IND program ended and was closed in the early 90s during the time when there was the uh, AIDS epidemic and a lot of AIDS patients were applying to be part of the program. So, unfortunately, the government isn't accepting any new candidates. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I actually am a good friend with L.V. Musica, which is the one of the last living IND patients who receives cannabis for her glaucoma. Yeah, she's quite well known. Yeah, yeah, she lives in Oregon. We we went to Hempfest together last year. She's a lovely lady. So, and how is her glaucoma? Well, as far as I know, she's uh, she's been pretty stable. She's uh, seeing as best as she can. Um, you know, she did have quite extensive vision loss over the years, but uh, cannabis is the only thing maintaining the sight that she does have left. If you reduce your pressure in your eyes even further would your eyesight improve or once it's gone it's gone well the eyes never heal when you have glaucoma what happens is the high pressure bruises the optic nerve on your eye and the optic nerve once it's bruised it doesn't ever heal but what happens is like also, you know, when I have high pressure, my vision does kind of look foggy. And if I look at a light, it gets a light halo around that light. And so by getting my pressure down really low, I can increase my vision in that way by removing the cloudiness and the halos from it. Were you getting headaches from your pressure? I was. I had extreme migraines. In fact, I have gone to the emergency room before when I was a teenager, uh, before they really, you know, could kind of find at that time an eye drop that would maintain my, my pressure. Um, and that was not very much fun at all. 
Yeah, I know. I've heard people who have had glaucoma and say that the eye pressure is just unbearable at times. Yes, and it's really odd because I've had ophthalmologists debate with me whether what I was feeling was uh, a migraine or for a mycocoma. And I would tell them, I can feel the pressure in my eyes, and they would say, oh, your pressure is not bad enough that you could actually do that. But I beg to differ. <laughs> I mean, how the hell would they know, right? <laughs> I know. How would they know? Exactly. <laughs> so walk a mile in my shoes first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 I mean, the same thing goes with my cannabis use. I mean, <laughs> I feel like doctors uh, sometimes forget to listen to their patients that they're so uh, set on their personal experiences of the past that they feel that they might learn something new from their patient rather than trying to teach their patient something. Sage, do you grow your own cannabis and are you using sativas or you're using indicas or a mixture of both? And are there certain strains that you use? Um, yes, actually, I, I do grow my own cannabis. I'm a, a Washington State cannabis patient and I have about you know, about three different strains that I, I will rotate through. But White Widow, which is also known as William's Wonder, it's an heirloom variety, a land race cannabis strain, is actually the most effective on my condition. Unfortunately, it's really, really rare. There are newer versions of White Widow made by other, you know, cannabis breeders, but uh, they are they don't have the same turpin profile, which I believe is crucial into why the White Widow works so well for me. How did you find out about White Widow? I um, actually did some research online many years ago about different strains and which ones would actually benefit glaucoma, and I kept reading a lot about different instances where White Widow was recommended. So I sought it out, and I tried it, and lo and behold, it actually really did work the best out of anything I've tried so far. Now, you've set up your own company to teach people to make their own medicine. How did that evolve? Well, that's evolved because of what's happened currently in my state with how we have turned from a medical state into a recreational state. Now, there are still medical authorizations in Washington. However, the problem is is that... Um, there are no more dispensaries. They closed them, and they basically um, made they made all the patients have to go buy their product from the uh, recreational stores. And they're not really even geared toward you know medicinal products. And there really is very little guidance from the people that work there as to what patients should select for their conditions. So I wanted to help patients find ways to still get the products that they were used to getting from dispensaries by being able to make it themselves now. They'll know exactly what's in it. If they can source, you know, an organic cannabis source, I can teach them how to make that into, you know, products like salves, tinctures, cannabis oil, edibles, at a much, much more affordable cost than it would if they were to buy the finished product from a recreational store. Um, and plus, they'll know exactly what's in it, and they can cater it you know, particular to their needs. So I want to just pretty much spread the knowledge, not just in my state, but to other states too, because this is a growing trend in our country with the medicinal states being swallowed up by recreational programs. 
You know, I don't quite understand uh, Washington State's medical marijuana laws and the difference between recreational and medical dispensaries. And we've talked to people, Corey, in Washington State who say if, if you have a medical card, you can go to – well, instead of me trying to explain it, Sage, can you explain the difference between recreational and medical dispensaries in Washington State? Okay, well, there aren't any medical – dispensaries in Washington anymore. They are all I-502 recreational stores. However, medical patients don't have to pay the tax on the products, unlike the recreational, you know, people that come to their establishment. Um, The problem is, though, is that the compassionate care that used to be kind of part of dispensaries where you actually could talk to the dispensary owner and and they knew the growers firsthand so you could actually kind of find out particular things that you needed to know was was really handy um and also the variety of products was better and much more cost affordable in fact a lot of dispensaries are willing to work with patients on um bringing the cost down especially on cannabis oil like if you had a condition like cancer, where you needed a large amount of it to treat your condition. It could be very, very expensive. Recreational stores just don't have this compassion component, and a lot of patients aren't willing to pay 30 to $40 a gram when they're going to need to take a gram every single day for two months. That's a lot of money. Would you say that Washington State – well, let me rephrase that – has the law in Washington State changed since Washington first became a medical cannabis state? Yes. Um, so after I-502 was signed in and voted in, um, unfortunately, our medical law was amended by Jay Inslee. He did not, we did not take a vote on it. This is something that they decided in-house how they were going to change our medical law that the people had voted on. They made it so dispensaries had to close. They could apply to become I-502 recreational stores if they wanted to. They decreased the plant counts that patients could have. Patients before could have up to 15 plants. Now they can only have up to six unless they want to participate in a state registry system which actually violates patient-doctor confidentiality laws and um, the um, patient privacy, you know, basically forcing patients into this registry system as well as uh, self-incrimination on a federal level if the federal government ever gained access to the patient registry. The violation of patient client patient confidentiality is uh, doctor patient confidentiality. That's an interesting point. I never thought of that before. Yeah, the fact that you have to tell an entity other than a medical department that you're using a medication because you need to have a certain amount for your condition is ludicrous. Now, in your business, in your, the business that you're, you've, you've started up in which you uh, counsel other people on how to make their own medicine, what are some of the common questions that people ask you when teaching them how to make medicine? Well, um, 
They, they have so many questions, but I mean, first of all, it's just establishing what their particular condition is, uh, because there are so many ways to use it that a lot of people don't even know what to ask in the beginning. So I just say, tell me what's, what you're dealing with, and then I assist them from there. I think a lot of times they are concerned about, uh, will I feel really, really high? You know, will, will this, prevent me from functioning cognitively the way I'd like to. And there are ways around it. There are different kind of cannabinoids out there. It's not just THC. So I also try and, you know, advise them on other methods that could possibly work if they don't want to have that strong high. Because I think that is a, a showstopper for some people. Yes, a lot of people, actually. Um, another question is, you know, when it comes to CBD, there's a lot of talk about CBD now. And it's an interesting conversation because I have my own personal beliefs about how important terpene profiles are in addition to the cannabinoids that are with them. And so when I hear a lot of hemp-derived CBD from stalks and stems uh, and, and leaves, they really don't contain the terpene profile that is in the flowers. Now, hemp flower CBD, I would say, is superior to just regular hemp oil for sure. Um, but then if you get into other strains, like cannabis strains that are high in CBD, like Sarah's Tsunami or Harlequin or Charlotte's Web, they are highly effective, not just because of the CBD, but also the increased terpene profile that's in the cannabis. It's quite a fascinating bit of chemistry, this cannabis plant, isn't it? Yes, I love it. I think it's, I, I don't know, for me, when I found, found cannabis, it just got me so excited. I wanted to learn everything I could about it, and um, I, I love the science behind it. It's fascinating. It really is. Is it easy to grow here in the Pacific Northwest? Be. In the Pacific Northwest, do you need a mm-hmm. greenhouse? Because uh, we don't get much sunshine uh, where you and right. Corey and I live. <laughs> well, I will tell you, uh, it can be a little tricky in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, you know, like for example, last year in the fall, we had an early rain. Now, an early rain is bad. Cannabis is similar to grapes; it doesn't like moisture on it it will start to mold and you don't want mold on your cannabis that is really really bad especially if you're trying to create medicine you don't want to give mold to somebody with a you know a uh, immune issue because you want to damage somebody with an immune compromised system um, and even as an edible that mold can still affect them it can affect them on any level so yeah it can be really hard um But I would say, you know, um, if you live in a warm, dry climate, you're going to find a much easier time with it as an outdoor garden plant. If you live more of in a humid area, I would consider indoor if possible. But, you know, growing cannabis is as complicated as you make it. Uh, There's a lot of different products in the market. Some of them have more bottles than others. And uh, I would just say, you know, if you're not um, familiar, there's that KISS rule, the keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> which is basically yeah. do not try and use a lot of products. 
you know, stay with one or two nutrients that will carry you through vegetation and bloom and pick a base soil that doesn't have any added nutrients. If you plan on using a liquid nutrient or you can buy a soil that's all encompassing of everything you need and all you have to worry about is pHing your water. So you can start very easy in the beginning if you want. And then as you get more comfortable, you can start playing around and tinkering with other things and see what you can do to get where you want to be. Well, we'll have to give it a try. Sage, it was good to talk to you. Do you have anything uh, you'd like to say in conclusion? Well, I just want to thank you so much for your time, and um, I would like to invite any of your viewers to come check out www420 sageadvice.com and if they have any questions please feel free to shoot me a message I'm happy to help in any way I can and uh, I will be at the Oregon Hemp Fest speaking on two days so you can come out and see me there and uh, possibly on the uh, Cannabis Common Sense Tour with dates coming up soon so yeah thank you so much great thanks for your time and good luck with your glaucoma Thank you so much. Thanks, Sage. And that's it. Another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. As we mentioned before in this program, if you'd like to tell your story about the medical use of cannabis and how it's helped you, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Wherever you are in the world, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name's Kate, and I'm your host of the Pop Moms Podcast. I started the Pop Moms Podcast, well, because I wanted to end the stigma against using cannabis, specifically with moms, but also anyone who chooses to consume. I strive for a balance of humor and education, along with some pretty rad guests, to help combat social biases that come with consuming cannabis. Kids are hard. Join me for regular podcast episodes packed with parenting hacks, real-life stories, and of course, my favorite cannabis products. The days are long, but the years are short. So roll another J and take a deep breath. Keep blazing and stay amazing.